February 26, 2015, Cairns, Australia. Philip Quayle, 27, is found dead by a passerby around 3.25am near the intersection of Spence and Taylor Streets. Thug Jake Desmond Livingston, 19, just out of prison on parole, had attacked Philip, knocking him to the ground and then held him in a headlock until Philip was dead. It's a short story this week, but a shocking one. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. First off tonight, I just want to remind you that True Crime Island is entered into the Australian Podcast Awards and you too can vote for the island in the popular vote category. If everyone that listens votes for the island and it is your island, I will get the opportunity to yell boom vagalanga to the world. So go to australianpodcastawards.com, go to the popular vote link and vote for the island, your island, as it is you, the listeners, that make this island what it is. So thank you very much. Okay, back to the show. Tonight, I will tell you of a senseless, brutal and random attack that resulted in the death of 27-year-old chef Philip Quayle. Philip had moved to Cairns from New Zealand to join his brother Rowan, who had moved to the area around 2008. They both worked in the hospitality industry and Philip got a job washing dishes at the popular Tarfish restaurant. Four years later, Philip would become the chef. In contrast, the other main character in this story is 19-year-old Jake Desmond Livingston with a long list of convictions and even at the age of 19 was just two days out of prison on parole. So, before I get to what happened early in that morning of the 26th of February 2015, let me tell you more about what went on earlier on in the afternoon and night of the 25th. 23-year-old Samantha Sky French was at her flat drinking and smoking pot when her flatmate came home. They decided to go out to get some dinner and ended up going to the Down Under bar to drink more and to play pool. Here she would meet her friends, 19-year-old Jake Livingston and 21-year-old Alexander Hansen. She'd known these guys for around six months. They all started to drink and play pool together. Apparently, Hanson and Livingston had shared around nine jugs of beer during the night. Livingston appeared drunk and was agitated. Livingston was so drunk, he was missing the cue ball, slurring his speech and staggering when trying to walk. At the end of the night, they all went back to French's house to continue drinking and smoking. At the same time, Philip Quayle and his girlfriend, Samantha Livesley, 
were enjoying a few drinks in town at the Pier Bar and then they went to PJ O'Brien's, a popular Irish pub. Then around 2.15am, the group at French's place ran out of pot and Hanson suggested they go to Livingston's flat as he had more pot there. French, Livingston and Hanson left together on their way towards Livingston's house to continue smoking pot. They were all very intoxicated at this time. It is around this time that Philip Quayle and his girlfriend Samantha decide to walk home as Samantha was quite drunk. They left PJ O'Brien's pub and started to walk home. As they were on their way home, Samantha would occasionally break into a run and Philip would run to catch up with her. She was not running away from Philip because they'd been arguing. On the contrary, they had had a great night and were very happy at the time. Samantha was just doing what drunk happy people do. Just by some awful coincidence, the group of Livingston, Hanson and French will be walking down the street on their way to get more drugs. Just at the time Philip and Samantha were on their way home on the very same street. So here we have two lots of people. One group on their way home after a night out having a few drinks and the other group on their way to another place to score some more drugs. As they converge, it is accepted that the following happens. Livingston sees Philip and Samantha up ahead, passes his sunglasses and mobile phone to French and says, let's roll them. Hansen responded, I won't throw the first punch, but I'll back you up if you need. French said, yeah, go on then, because I'll take the girl. Philip and Samantha, as I said before, were walking back to his bungalow and at times Samantha would break out into a run and Philip would run to catch up to her. It's right at this time that Samantha decides to run off again and she runs past Livingston, French and Hanson. As Philip starts to walk off in pursuit of Samantha, Livingston steps into his way and King hits Philip in the face causing him to stumble back. Philip says, What the fuck, cunt? Livingston walks up to him, puts his arm behind Philip's head, and punches him in the head twice more. At that point, Philip had not reacted physically. Philip put his arms up as if to defend himself, and he and Livingston started grappling, facing each other, and each with hands on the other's shoulders. They were pushing each other. Livingston was quite aggressive. And the more Philip seemed to defend himself, the more aggressive Livingston got. Shit started to get serious. They ended up on the road, then on the grass beside the road. Livingston swung Philip and he landed face down on the grass. Livingston jumped on Philip's back and put his arm around his neck in a chokehold. Livingston started to lose it and was yelling die cunt and die cocksucker several times. Philip had his arms outstretched to the sides. After about a minute Philip went limp and then Livingston got off him. 
Now, this is just 100 metres from Phillips Bungalow and 250 metres from Cairns' biggest police station. French would say that Philip was still breathing, but this can't be confirmed at this stage. Livingston, French and Hanson took off, with Livingston taking off his shirt and put it in French's handbag. He then took off his shoes and threw them in the bin. A short distance later, French told Livingston to put his shirt back on. All three of them got into a taxi and went to Livingston's place. Passers-by see Philip on the side of the road and commence CPR and call police and an ambulance. At around 4am, Livingston, French and Hanson drove past the site of the attack and noticed police there and a sheet covering Philip's body. They drove on because Livingston wanted to get rid of his clothes. They stopped at a creek where Livingston and Hanson burnt their t-shirts. They then drove back because Livingston wanted to retrieve his shoes from the bin so he could dispose of them elsewhere. French got them out of the bin and then they drove to an area of mangroves and Livingston threw his shoes in. Hanson and Livingston also disposed of their shorts there. At this stage, unaware of what had gone on, Philip's girlfriend Samantha had passed out at Philip's place and would wake up to notice Philip wasn't there. Imagine that, going out with your other half, getting drunk, walking home, and then the next thing you know, you wake up alone, unaware that your boyfriend's been brutally murdered moments after you'd left him. Fuck's sake, shit goes on in this world. Anyway, Samantha would find out later in the morning the fate of her boyfriend, Philip. But as she had been paralytic drunk, She could only remember leaving the pub to go home, but it was a blank until she woke up alone later that morning. So police mount an investigation and were able to see Philip and Samantha on several security cameras in the area, but it doesn't shine any light on what happened. The next day, French, who must have started to feel guilty, but more likely it was a sense of self-preservation, reports to police and gives them her version of the story. She would end up becoming an indemnified witness along with Hanson and they would testify against Livingston once he's picked up and charged with murder. Of course the scummy fucktard punk Livingston would deny his involvement. However, he would be caught during a recorded phone call confessing to the crime. An autopsy was performed and pathologists found an area of bruising over the left forehead consistent with blunt force contact. Multiple areas of bruising over the left cheek also consistent with blunt force. Bruising and abrasion over the bridge of the nose with lacerations. Swelling and bruising over the upper outer right eye socket bruising over the right side of the head, grazing to the right elbow and a graze to the base of the fingernail of the left middle finger. The pathologist said constriction of the windpipe could result in impairment of blood flow and the inability to get enough oxygen into the bloodstream. 
the bruising in this case was likely to be caused at about the time of death. Philip's heart was relatively large and the wall of the major chamber was a bit thicker than normal and the arteries of the heart showed very significant thickening. The pathologist said the narrowing of the left anterior descending artery was severe. That meant that it was possible that a stressful event could cause the heart rate to increase, causing chest pain and shortness of breath, and eventually stop the heart. As to the cause of death, the pathologist said there were at least three explanations. The head injury, the underlying heart disease with the severely narrowed arteries, and the neck compression. All three were consistent with the findings. The pathologist said his own view was that the head injury was the most likely explanation, but he could not say with sufficient confidence that the other two could be excluded. It was possible that all three combined together. As a result, the cause of death was undetermined. So, in effect, the pathologist said, My own view is it's the combination of pre-existing stress related to the jogging with then the additional stress of both the emotional stress of the physical assault, the pain associated with the sustained injuries, and if neck compression did, in fact, occur, that's a further stressor on top. Now, during the court case, the defence tried to make out Livingston was not the direct reason why Philip died because of his pre-existing heart disease. Okay, so after French goes to police and tells them what happened on the night, Livingston is brought in for questioning. At first, he denies having anything to do with the attack on Philip, but police soon tell him that they'd talk to his friends. He still denied being at the scene and kept to his story that he was in bed asleep the whole time. Then police show him his shorts and shoes that they were able to retrieve after French told them where they were. At this stage, he changed his story and told police that he didn't mean to murder Philip and that he only attacked him because he felt threatened. He also told police that he believed Philip was abusing Samantha and that's why she was running away. As we know, Samantha was running away as she was being playful with Philip, not because he was abusing her. Now, while in custody awaiting trial, Livingston is overheard by others and his conversations on the phone were being recorded. So first, the evidence of Ms Stowe, a corrections officer. Miss Stowe said she overheard Livingston saying to another person that, You know that fellow on Spence Street, the one that was killed? That was me. Livingston went on to say, King hit him, he fell to the ground, and then he choked him out. Now you'd think this idiot would shut his mouth, but he seems to be really proud of his murderous handiwork. Now, one of the phone calls Livingston had with one of his friends shows what type of scum we're dealing with here. I'll read it out. So, Livingston. Yeah, you seen me on the news? LaFail, his friend. Yeah. Livingston. Ha ha ha, yeah, bro. LaFail. Fucking naughty cunt. (laughs) 
Livingston. How's that? Get out for two days. Go kill someone. Come back. LaFail. Yeah, two days. Is that all? How long was it? Fuck that. Livingston. Yeah, two days, bro. Livingston. Get out on parole. I got my parole back. Got smashed. Went to roll this cunt for his money. And then bashed him and choked him. LaFail. Okay. Livingston. Yeah. <laughs> Even that friend LaFail seems like a prick. Now, the fact that he mentions he's on parole would be a bit of an issue here, as during court cases, the accused's previous criminal history is not allowed to be brought up. And the fact that the phone call indicates that Livingston was on parole and therefore had been convicted previously of an offence meant that this evidence could have been deemed inadmissible. But thank God that there was someone with some common sense and they were able to present the phone call unedited at the trial. More evidence was produced at the trial of conversations Livingston had with others. A conversation with a guy called Dale. This is Dale asking Livingston, What's going on? And Livingston says, I killed someone tonight. Dale says, What? Were you serious? Livingston says, Up Central's. Dale says, How have you done that? Was he fighting? And Livingston responds, I did it out of pure rage. I grabbed him and strangled him. Nice, nice, nice. Anyway, in a conversation with a guy called Deleu. Deleu. Livingston shows Deleu a digital edition of the Cairns Post and he's asked, What the hell were you thinking? And Livingston says, I wasn't thinking straight. I was drunk and I was trying to make my way home. And a conversation with a girl called Ms O'Brien. Livingston told Ms O'Brien, go look at the news. And she asked him, what were you talking about? Livingston said, I fucked up. I'm in more trouble than I've ever been before. I got into a fight last night. Now, in these last three conversations, Livingston does not mention his intent to rob Philip. Although in other evidence, it is said he wanted to roll the cunt for his money. The fact that he does not mention that in every conversation can be seen that the main intent of the assault was to cause harm, to bash, to get his anxieties out on an innocent person rather than to rob him. Three on one at the time meant that even if Philip was able to get the upper hand on Livingston, there were two others who could join in to help him out. Gutless little prick. So pretty much Livingston has gone about boasting that he killed Philip, which basically put him up shit creek without a paddle because it could be seen that this little dickwad had no remorse at all over what he'd done. Only 19 years of age, and if he had shown any remorse, and if he had handed himself over to police and not lied to them, he probably would have had a much different sentence than the one he got. So what did he get? Justice Jim Henry sentenced Livingston to life behind bars after the jury took only four hours to deliver the guilty verdict. Justice Jim Henry went on to say, 
that he was a good man was exemplified by the fact that when he was fatally assaulted by you, he was doing the right thing, escorting home a friend who'd had too much to drink. The contrast between the nature of his good conduct at the time of your self-indulgent, malicious, drunken violence is breathtaking. Justice Henry then said, Take him away! After issuing a warning of the threat he posed, if ever released. You might be only young, but your conduct has demonstrated that you're extremely dangerous and the community should be protected from you. So let's hope this little punk rots in jail. I'm all for rehabilitation, but for some scum and what they do, they don't deserve any chance to be let back into society. He was only out of prison for two days before he murdered Philip. Livingston has caused all this pain and suffering for Philip's family and friends and taken a good, upstanding member of society away from the rest of us. Now, he's just had his appeal dismissed. However, the judge stated, I will set aside the conviction of murder and substitute a conviction of manslaughter. It would be for the trial judge to sentence the appellant for that offence. So, I will update you when this occurs. So that's about it for this case at this time. So, it was a short episode this week, but I thought it was more than just a special edition. So now on to the end of the show announcements. As we all know, True Crime Island is a listener-supported show and it is commercial-free for all. But it does cost money to run, so if you do want to support the island, you can in many ways. If you want to become a patron of the island, just go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland where for as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. All funds go directly back to the island. You can also do a one-off payment via PayPal, and you can do that by typing in paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. Again, cryptocurrency will be here soon. If you want stickers or koozies, you need to email me directly, and my email is cambo at truecrimeisland.com, and I can price it up for you according to postage. I have a few left, so be quick. All other merch, such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage, and all that stuff is at the shop, which is truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Now, if you go to my website, which is www.truecrimeisland.com, there's links to everything there. Facebook, iTunes, the shops, Patreon, everything. Again, you do not have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review, and share the love. The more people who know about the show, the better. If people don't know what a podcast is, then show them the way. Join the Facebook group. Just search for True Crime Island and join in on the chat. Don't forget to check out Twitter and Instagram. The island's handle is at True Crime Island. You can join in the chat there, and there's many other podcasters there as well. Again, I want to remind you that True Crime Island is entered into the Australian Podcast Awards and you can vote for the island in the popular vote category. If everyone that listens votes for the island 
and it is your island, remember? I will get the opportunity to yell boom fagalanga to the whole world. So go to australianpodcastsawards.com, go to the popular vote link and vote for the island. It's your island. It's you, the listeners, are what makes this island what it is. Well, that's about all for tonight. So this has been Cambo, and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.